Thanks for clicking play on the East Lake Tri-Cities Talks podcast. If you're new to this, we're trying to be the best church option for people in the Tri-Cities who aren't typically into church. We hope today's talk inspires you to take next steps in doing life in the way Jesus modeled and taught. If you're ever interested in being a part of one of our in-person gatherings, they take place every Sunday at the Uptown Theater in Richland. Check the website for current times. And regardless of what you look like, who you voted for, or where your tattoos are, we'd love to have you. But for now, here's our most recent talk. This is your first time you picked a great day to come check us out. We're on part two of a series uh, called Limited Time Offer. It's a series on parenting. And uh, basically, if you're new to the church or whatever, we're just, we're a church trying to figure out what it means to live in the way of Jesus uh, in 2023 and beyond. And uh, sometimes it can be confusing and helpful to kind of be in a part of an interpretive community as a church. And because the Bible's difficult sometimes, but I think there's some really good stuff in there that's uh, some, some life-altering, changing things. And the reason it's difficult is because uh, I, I saw somewhere this week, uh, somebody said, something like uh, 2,000 years from now, uh, somebody is going to be around who doesn't know the difference between a butt dial and a booty call, and that is what makes <laughs> biblical interpretation so difficult. And so that's what we're trying to do is discern what was Paul talking about, what was Jesus talking about. All right, we're going to close in prayer and get you on your way. <laughs> Worked really, really hard on that one. Last week, last week, bring it back, bring it back in. All right, here we go. Last week, we kicked off a series on, uh, on, on parenting. And for those of us currently in a season of parenting, it's helpful to remember that the opportunity to be a mom or a dad and in, uh, in an intentional way, in a way that you look back on and are proud of and whatever during the formative uh, years of your children's life is a limited time offer. Um, and we, we, you've heard the saying before, the days are long, but the years are short, right? Uh, and this offer will not be around forever. And uh, this is a what we would call a wisdom series. We kind of bounce back and forth between these. And we just got out of a really deep theological, like tons of Bible verses, that kind of thing. So this is more of a practical, hands-on uh, tool. Hopefully, uh, if you're in that season, then this will be something you're like, I, I got so much stuff and so much homework, uh, I, I can go. But if you're in a post-parent season, right? You're like an empty nester or whatever. You know that there's really no such thing as post-parenting, right? Like things shift and priorities shift, but they don't take orders from you anymore like they used to, but they do seem to ask for more advice than they did before. Um, and so there's still a role that a parent plays in that spot. Plus, uh, at some point you get to parent them through parenting. So uh, you, you get to hear them go, I know uh, you're kind of just getting a little bit of what you deserve. Karma is a real... Uh, pre-parents, if you're a pre-parent, uh, if you're if you're a person that, you know I, you show up and you're like so excited about church and then and then I do a series on parenting you're like I'm not I'm not like in that season man I'm like I'm never gonna be in that season man or whatever there's a good chance you're still involved in family dynamics and your family of origin experience has shaped you potentially more than any other thing in your personal history and I do think that that's something worth focusing on is figuring out kind of where you came from how did your parents handle their limited time offer and what does that mean for you so. The big, the big question uh, that we said kind of focuses it all in, provides a lens by which we work through is this. Simply, what is your win uh, at parenting? What do, you, what, what do you think is the end goal? What are you trying to achieve? What do you, when you look at your, your significant other, your, who you're raising kids with, and, and you look at them and go, are we doing it right? Like, is this, um, we're so frustrated. We're so, they're, they're screaming, they're yelling, they're, 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 they're doing whatever it is. And you just look in those moments of frustration, you go, are we doing it right? What do you mean by it? What, what is it? What is what does successful parenting look like for you? And, uh, you know, if it's a two-parent family, there might be two different wins and two different goals. And somebody goes, this is our goal. And I go, that's not my goal. I'm surviving, whatever. But how do you know that you're winning or that when you've won, what are you parenting towards? 
And we said that there's a couple options to kind of choose from. This is a little recap of last week. We said you can parent towards compliance, which is definitely an option, and uh, you can parent towards competence. You can uh, parent towards achievement or some sort of a relational sort of thing. Those are and and, and then there's different seasons of kids early on in those like like early years. Compliance is a big deal, um, and then you know you want your kid to be smart and get through some stuff, and then you want them to land that job or get into that school or pass that test or make varsity or do whatever. So achievement's a part of it. But then like you know that relational is a big piece as well. And, and perhaps we've been parenting towards the entire way, although everything else does play a role in, in these different things. What is the end goal? What is the priority? What is the, what is the, how do we know that we've won? How do we point to something and say at the end of things, I took that limited time offer and made the best use of it that I could. Uh, perhaps it looks like this. You kids who enjoy being with us and with each other, even when they no longer have to be. I told you that I'm, uh, I'm a parent of four currently. Uh, well, not currently, that's it. So uh, 15, 10, and five. And so I don't come to you with like, uh, my kids are growing and gone and, and I, you know, by all means successful. So let me tell you how I did it. Uh, that's, I'm, I'm swimming with you right now. We're, we're both swimming upstream if, if you're in that season. But I, I do, uh, I am a person who likes to kind of read on, on some of this stuff and study some of this stuff because I said last week, it doesn't come naturally. I think I'm a good parent, but it's not because it comes naturally. It's because I have to work really, really hard at it. So here's some things that I came across that could perhaps be helpful for you. And one of these is uh, somebody who I respect, who has adult kids growing and gone, who said, this was our goal. We want kids who enjoy being with us, who choose to be with us, even when they don't have to be, and then like to be around each other. And so if that's the goal, if that's the end thing, then, then perhaps it changes the way that we approach a couple of different things. And, and that, those are on the screen as well, which is basically, uh, it changes the way we look at discipline. If you know that the goal at the end of, all, of everything is to, to not just be like buddies with your kids. That's not what I'm saying. That's a, there's a different thing. You still have to stay seated in the role of parenting, but they're choosing to be with you even though they don't have to be. Uh, that changes how you view discipline. At, at all the different stages and in, in, in things that they go through. It chooses the words that you choose to use and it chooses how you approach spiritual formation. So that's gonna be the direction of this series uh, if you're sticking around with us uh, for the length of that. All right, we're jumping into if the goal, and we're just gonna say, maybe it's not your goal and you can choose to like, you know, cross your arms and take notes on what you, you know, t- uh, t- take what you like and leave the rest. That's totally fine with me. Um, and the, the beautiful part is, uh, of this too is even if you're not like particularly religious or identify as a Christian, I still think a lot of this is gonna be helpful uh, for you. And, and the same thing applies there. Take what you want, leave what you don't. But if the goal is uh, adult children who choose to be with us and enjoy being around us and enjoy being around each other, even when they're gone, then, uh, then how you choose to dis- discipline is, um, is a big deal. Um, if we're gonna ultimately parent towards a relationship, what is the role of discipline and, and what does it look like in the home? If the goal is compliance, it's gonna be uh, the entire time, but relationship, relationship. If the goal is relationship, what does discipline look like? We, we know that the answer isn't no discipline, right? We're all on board with something along those lines. And that piece is gonna show up many, many times in the Bible. In fact, in the Proverbs themselves, which is kind of a directive for um, like a curriculum for how to do life for a bunch of the Israelite people. This is wisdom of the ages, or um, we've gone through enough series of, uh, of lives to know this is quality stuff that's gonna be generally true for us, not particularly true, but generally true. This is a good way to do uh, life. And that idea of parents and the role of discipline in the, in, in the child or in the, in the home is, is a big deal. Here's a pretty popular verse, verse uh, 24, chapter 13 of, of Proverbs. A refusal to correct is a refusal to love. 
Love your children by disciplining them. A refusal to correct is a refusal to love. Now, let me just say this real quick, because there might be a few of you who are like, you know, have a history with this one. If this was the one Bible verse that your dad knew, he didn't know much, but he did know this one, and he knew a different version of it. That version was like more like the King James Version, which says, spare the rod, spoil the child. If that's the only one he knew, and he completely ignored the numerous other ones about parents, love your children, don't exasperate them, don't provoke them to anger or bitterness, then I just want to preface it by saying that I'm genuinely, genuinely sorry that that took place, and that I, I know it's going to be really hard to um, distinguish some of the truths about this, because that's going to weigh so heavy on you, and, and I just want to give you the space to kind of feel that and understand that. Nevertheless, you know um, that, 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 that love, loving your child doesn't mean no discipline. It looks like intentional or shaped or, or you know, there's something there. That's why in, in Revelation chapter three, in these letters to all these churches in this direction of kind of like the, 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 uh, the vision, and in a world where everything communicate a message of hope to a church undergoing persecution, and in a world where everything's kind of chaotic and crazy for them, um, in, in chapter three, it says this, as many as I loved, I rebuke and correct. As many, the reason you're receiving a letter, the reason that you get this is because I, I love you. And the reason that you get correction from your heavenly father, and I, I do, I mean, as much as we dislike rebuke and correction and you know, dislike that feeling of guilt that comes when we know we've done something wrong. If that wasn't there, where would we be? And what would our lives look like? These self-destructive things that come along and go along. I mean, we're at these points, we can dislike it, but then like it at the same time. Or long-term view of it, be like, I do appreciate this. In the same way that you as a kid, perhaps in the moment, disliked your parents' rebuke and their correction. But then as a college-age student or as an adult yourself raising kids of your own, you realized how much that was motivated out of love. And in the moment, it did not feel like that. In the moment, it felt like vindictiveness or um, you know, them carrying out their lack of a, a good childhood and, and, and imposing it on you or something like that. But as many as I love, I rebuke and correct. And you know this to be true too, right? Because you've walked through Costco and watched that kid absolutely misbehaving, not your kid, somebody else's kid. And you look at this and you go, you've never said, that's a good parent right there, I can tell. You know what you say in those moments when that kid is going crazy? You say things like this. You say things like, I hear that that kid's parent is a pastor at Eastlake Church. That's what you say. <laughs> I think his dad's the pastor, right? No, you say, what kind of a parent, Right? It's complicated, and I know it's not always um, true, but Proverbs are, are based on generalities, as, as I said, not particular. So we have a motivation. We have to go, okay, if the goal is that they want to be around me at some point, then how do I, um, how do I maintain this? How do I successfully approach this? And uh, again, do not have a corner on the market. Don't think I have all the answers, but I have some thoughts for us. Um, Let's start with doing a little bit of a social experiment. I thought about having you kind of share this with somebody around you, and, and maybe you do this under your breath or whatever. I'm not going to like set aside time to do this, but I would love for you to think about in your, in your brain, a rattle on your brain as I'm talking a little bit, what rules were in place in the home that you grew up in that perhaps you felt like were unique to you? 
Like everybody's like, you know, oh yeah, we don't take our shoes off when we come in the house or do this. But your, your home had some pretty unique ones because everybody has some unique ones, right? Every house has a set of rules, written or unwritten, and it goes along the lines, and, and they're, they're perhaps not on the walls because we would never be so overt, but they're definitely there. And you would say, in this house, we always dot, dot, dot. Or in this house, we never, right? Dot, 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 or whatever. Um, so what are those? What, what, what would those look like for you? In, in, in our home, uh, again, my wife and I have four kids. My, my wife has stuck to her guns on something for the whole time that our kids have kind of been growing up and, and doing this. And it's a line that eventually they'll probably will laugh about over dinner with our, our adult children. But she'll say, in this house, we do not lie, right? That's, that's like the big thing. We do not lie in this home. The worst thing you can do is tell a lie. The consequences will always be worse. And the simple reason is that lying dissolves trust. And we, we don't explain this to them. Most of them are at an age where we just tell them not to do something. Eventually, they'll grow into the spot with our 15-year-old. We have to explain why that's true. And the reason why that's true is because lying dissolves trust. And without trust, there is no relationship. That's a big, I mean, we've, I've, I've said that for years, especially when we go to uh, relationship series and, and series on marriage work and how, how to make marriage work and, and dating and all that kind of stuff. But um, that's just the truth. Without trust, there is no relationship. And lying dissolves trust. When you can't believe what you hear from another person, then everything is off balance. The relationship is damaged and you find yourself saying, how can I, how can I take your word if you don't always stick to your word? As an imagery sort of kind of thing, lying in a family is like taking out the lower piece on a Jenga puzzle. It's really shaky. It's very dangerous and everything can come crumbling down as a result of this. So one of the rules just in our home, you take it or leave it for you, but lying has no place here. Lying is the worst possible option. The consequences will always be worse if you choose the route of lying. So it was really interesting this week when Kylie walked into our closet and found our five-year-old with a handful of Reese's Pieces. She had just bought a bunch of them. We have a yellow gumball machine that sits on our counter it's supposed to be for friends and everybody else coming over and the, it just, it doesn't happen that way. And so every once in a while you hear the coin go in, the chink, chink, chink thing, and then everything comes down and we let them have, you know, some once in a while. And it's, 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 it's a vibe, right? It's got the orange and yellows and browns. It's very fallish. It's, we're trying to bring in the fall, get rid of the summer, do the feels, all the stuff, right? But, you know, you have to kind of put some limitations on these kids. Yeah, that's the last one. I, I don't know how many times I said yesterday. That's the last time you get to, to play with the machine, right? So the other day she walks into our, our bedroom and into our walk-in closet and, and, and my son is there and she, she found a stash of, of these underneath. We have like this little stool bench thing and it was with the house when we bought it and, and he, apparently people sit down and put their shoes on. We've never used it for that. He uses it to stash some, some stuff underneath there. So she walks in and she goes, Clive, what is this? And he goes, oh. <gasps> how did these get there, <laughs> right? Meanwhile, his face is just a, just a watercolor of orange and brown and yellow on his face. And so then what, what does she say? Clive, you know the rule of this house. We do not lie in this house. So Clive, I'm gonna give you one more chance. She's like, Clive, 
The consequences will always be worse if you do not tell me the truth of how these got here. I'm gonna give you again one more chance. Did you take candy after I told you not to? Remember, we do not lie in this house. The worst thing you can do is tell a lie and the consequences will always be worse. And he stuck to his guns, the little stubborn (laughs) rascal. I don't know how those got here. Now, I'll spare you the details of what happened next, but suffice it to say, he found out what it feels like to lie in our home And it serves him right for eating all my candy and giving away my hiding spot, you know? (laughs) Listen, lying, lying is, uh, the hard thing about lying is like sports and math homework, they get better at it as the older they, they get. Um, during the coaching years, like which we said last year or last week was like 12 to 18. That's when you're like coaching your kids. You're, you're trying to like be a fan of them and cheer them on, but you don't, you, you kind of want to let them fail once in a while and, and do that sort of thing. When kids have more independence and freedom, if you can't trust what they tell you is true, I'm telling you, it just gets more and more complicated as it goes along. If, if lying has become a pattern uh, in there um, as a child and you're not able to kind of develop a culture that um, eradicates that and points towards the benefits of, of telling the truth, then, then conversations about technology and social media and sleeping to and homework and borrowing the car are almost impossible to navigate if, you're, if there's a chance that your child is lying to you. Now, what can you do as a parent? Because you can't control the kid. You can't, you know... Uh, you can't fix it for them. It's helpful to understand one thing specific about lying. Lying is reactive. And what I mean by reactive, meaning uh, that self-protection is instinctive. We'll do just about anything not to look bad. We often lie, even as adults. This is true as a kid, it's true as a middle schooler, a high schooler, and, and a 40-year-old. Um, we often lie when we're caught off guard. And if we're angry, when we confront our kids, our body language and our tone automatically, not blaming you for the fact that your kid lies, but I I do think that there is a a way of setting them up for success when it comes to this. And prefacing a conversation with, listen, I'm gonna ask you something, and again, I want you to be fully honest with me, giving them space to decide rather than simply to react to something. Make it unacceptable to lie and enthusiastically reward the truth. And remind them, uh, if you, uh, the, the consequences will always be more severe uh, or less severe if you tell me the truth. And if you tell them the consequences won't be as severe if the truth is told, make sure that they believe you, right? Why do we discipline our children? I, I just picked lying as one. I mean, you could do anything, but that was, that was a big one in our home and it's a big one in a lot of people's homes. So I feel like there was like perhaps some buy-in for you. Um, so then something has transgressed, something has, uh, something has happened, something has broken, things have, have gone. So then discipline is in order with the idea that, you know, again, the goal is long-term relationship sort of thing. Why do we discipline our children? Is there any strategy involved to in, in, uh, in it? Or is it just, I don't want to be around you right now, get out of this room, get out of here, whatever. Um, or is there uh, a strategy of hit them where it hurts, right? Give me your phone, give me your Xbox controller, give me your Switch or whatever it is. You figure it out for them. How do we do this? It's important to note a couple of things. We're gonna fly through a couple of little takeaways in this moment. Again, practical, practical, practical. Uh, Punishment is not the same thing as discipline. What does the role of discipline look like? Well, it's different from punishment. Punishment is punishment. Discipline makes a person better. Punishment is, I don't want to see you. I want to make something hurt and perhaps the pain of 
uh, of not getting what you want will then make you rethink about it the next time around. But discipline makes us better. Punishment rarely makes a person better. It simply makes them more careful not to do it around you the next time. It doesn't make them better. Discipline helps them realize that at the heart of every transgression is a someone, not a some thing. When somebody lies to you, it's just not the fact that they lied to you. If you can point them to the bigger picture that you've broken the trust in our relationship, that makes me trust you less. That makes me hurt because I want to be able to trust you. You did something to hurt me. It's not this thing. You hurt me. That they've damned. Full of dis- an apology alone doesn't rebuild a relationship. In some cases, an apology alone makes it worse. Discipline, when we think through the idea of discipline in, in terms of not punishment, but something different, and the goal is, again, long-term relationship they choose to be around, even though they don't have to be, um, I want to make them a better person. I want them to see and make and connect the dots between what I've done and how it hurts somebody, not something. Because when, it hurt, when I can make the connection by the, by the fact that I've hurt somebody in this, I've made somebody distrust me, I've, I've hurt their feelings, I've said something, how dare you say that to your mom? How dare you dishonor your mom in that way? You can tell she loves you deeply and then you, you say these things and it shows a lack of appreciation. It shows a lack of whatever. Um, you've hurt them. Then it trains them to restore a relationship, not just offer a compensation for what they've broken or what they've taken or what they've stolen. You help them see that at the heart of everything is a broken relationship and they become really, really good at seeing their errors or a, a, uh, uh, when, they, when they've done something, uh, I need to fix the core issue. I need to go, we should discipline, I need to uh, address uh, something beyond that. We should discipline with the goal of teaching our children the critical skill of making things right with the people that they've wronged. And in doing so, I think we'd follow then indirectly through the lines of what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount. When he goes up in front of people and he goes this, he delivers this beautiful sermon, uh, Matthew chapter five, right? I mean, blessed are the meek, for they're in the head of the earth. Blessed are, are, are the persecuted, for they will receive. All, this, all these kinds of lucky are these people. Like, here's what it takes to live. And then he goes into more specifics. And one of these specifics is, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, right? If you're going to like make restitution with God, make things right, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at the front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. That God is saying, listen, like this whole thing about getting right, like on on a vertical level also has a horizontal element to it as well. And if there's something at wrong with who you're with and and what you're doing, like you feel bad because you've done something, you've sinned, you've You've broken relationship. And so you come and you say, God, forgive me. And he's like, (laughs) listen, you didn't hurt me. You hurt her. Go talk to her. Go fix that. Then come back. Like, again, what is he doing in this verse? Connecting the dots between what I've done and and somebody that I've caused harm. That it's a someone, not a something more often than not. Go be a good fixer of relationships and then you'll be better off in this way. So if that's true, and if that is the role of discipline, if we could, in our limited time offer of being with our kids, make them really, really good at restoring broken relationships, I think the payoff would be uh, immense, not only to us, but I think they would make better husbands and better wives and better friends. Then I think that there's a couple of takeaways to kind of uh, work through this. If this is like, okay, this is sort of making sense, what do I got to do? Practical takeaways. Number one, 
Simply this, learn to say, oh no, oh no. Effective discipline requires two things from your children and two words from you. It requires confession and restitution from them and two words from you, oh no. Which leads us to the question, what are the, what's the first thing that comes out of your mouth when your, when your kids misbehave? What is the first thing that kind of blurts out, right? How many times have I told you? You know you're not supposed to do that. Did your mother teach you that? All of these things that we sort of kind of like have no control over, like this immediate reaction sort of thing. The problem with all three of these responses and so many others is that they put you and your child on opposing teams. Offended party. What have you done? Oh no, as in, oh no, we, you and I are so sorry you did that because now you're gonna have to face some consequences. And just so you know, I'm for you and I hate that you're now gonna be penalized for your behavior. And this is gonna hurt both of us. Now, you more than me, but it's going to hurt us. And I'm so sorry that you chose to do this. And there are gonna be some consequences to this. It keeps you on the same team relationally. They aren't off the hook, but you aren't the bad guy. Learn to say, oh no. Oh no, bummer that you did that. Now we got some things to make up. Now we gotta go fix some stuff. Number two, buy yourself some time. When you say, oh no, uh, it, it, it sets you up not to be on opposing teams, but it also gives you a little bit of time. When your kids are young, an instant response to disobedience or disrespect perhaps is appropriate, right? You're trying to correct them. Don't stick your finger in that socket. Don't, you don't need time for that. We're just gonna figure that out quickly, right? You have to connect the dots quickly. But the older a child gets, the longer you can and you should wait to decide how they must make up for their misdeed. So when you say, oh no, and you, you, you think through some stuff, there's a good long pause there for you to kind of work through some things. One, it gives you a chance to calm down, right? Whenever your kid comes to you and says, I did something, and it, it's like, try and be like, okay, I gotta think about this for a little bit. Because one, I gotta count to 10 myself. Two, it gives you time to think creatively. When you're angry, you're not creative. You reach for what is close by and familiar, and you end up punishing your kids the same way every time, regardless of the offense. And that, my friends, is not discipline. That is punishment. Punishment is punishment, and it's fine, whatever. But it's not discipline. You're not actually making them better than this. Some of the other, another pro of taking this time to pause and something happens, let me, let me take some time to think about it, is because it actually reflects real life. If you got a ticket driving through, you know, Pasco or Richland on your way home or whatever, God gives you a, a, a ticket that day, right? But your court date's not for a couple months. You gotta sit there and think about it. When you get arrested for something, there's like a time. They like a cooling off period. You get a chance to sit with your thoughts for a little bit. That's how life works. Most importantly, waiting communicates that you weren't expecting them to do what they did. You did what? Now, generally, your kids are gonna wanna know their fate immediately, Right? What, what do I got to do? What are you going to do, dad? I don't know. I have to think about this for a little bit. I was not expecting you to do this. Like, give me a little bit, because this is a little shocking. This totally took me by surprise. I got to think about this. Now, this leads us to our last one. The uh, last note is that you cannot do this if you pre-assign consequences. So therefore, do not pre-assign consequences. If they already know what the punishment is gonna be, then they're not gonna ask you the question, what do I need to do? And it doesn't make sense for you to be like, I'm gonna need some time to think about this because they're gonna know what it is. That's why you should never leave and go, if I come home and these dishes are still in the sink, then blah, 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 blah. They're gonna know what that is. They're not gonna be shocked. 
You're going to walk in and whatever. Pre-assigning a consequence sends a message. Not only am I expecting to mess up, I am also prepared for it. And I have an answer for what you need to do. And worse, it robs your child of the opportunity to honor you by obeying you without the threat of a consequence. Then all they're doing is consequence avoidance. And again, the difference between punishment and behavior is punishment is simply they're trying to be more careful next time, be, be more strategic next time about how they do it. That's not the same thing. Listen, your role as a parent is to learn how to discipline them, how to make them better, to make them better humans, to learn from the way of Jesus that says, listen, at the heart of every transgression is a someone, not a something. So if something is broken, go to them and fix it and then do all the rest of the stuff. If they could get that right, then I think that they'd be better off. And I think that that would lead itself to, and I think their way of going through this would make them appreciate what you've taught me so much. And when they're older and when there's conflict in your relationship between adult children and adult parents, and, and super adult parents or whatever, that, 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 and there's brokenness there that they would say, I'm, I'm really good. Here's what they're good at. I'm, I'm good at restoring the relationship with people. And then you'll have that I made them so compliant as a kid. What if it was, I'm so, you know, I'm so thankful that, that they recognize I'm really good at restoring broken relationships. I'm really good with people. I'm really good at seeing that it's someone, not something. I think that's gonna pay dividends for you as an adult. I, I think that's gonna pay dividends for you when, excuse me, when they're adults. And when they can choose or not choose what level of relationship it looks like to be with you. So in closing, what you do between now and when your child turns 18, which I, I know parenting doesn't stop at that moment. We, we've said that. We said the phases kind of go through, but like it, it, it's a limited time offer in terms of the impact, right? In terms of the, the, the face time that you get with them. What you do between now and then may determine whether they enter adulthood with the skill of restoring a relationship a life skill far too many adults never develop. And I think that that provides then uh, for us, even if you're not in that parenting series, like that was maybe never offered to you. And maybe that's been a struggle for you. And you've always resorted to something, not someone. And, and, and we've missed it. And we've gotten, we're not good at restoring relationships. We choose to ignore, we choose to hang up, we block the number, uh, we, we, uh, start going to different churches. We start shopping at different, you know, different grocery stores. We do things that we, we're good at avoidance. We're great at that, but restoring it, it, not, not as much. And um, I don't know. I, I just don't think that's a, a healthy spot. So as a parent, if you're a parent, this is the season right now, the stakes are high. You have got a limited time offer to raise them well, to be uh, someone who does not exasperate the children, who does not do things to make them bitter or angry, but to love your children. And I think the way, a big way to kind of navigate that is through the lens of what does it look like to discipline in our home. Let's pray. Father, our prayer, uh, wherever we find this, wherever, whatever season that we're in, maybe this is an active thing. Maybe this week uh, there, <laughs> there's been uh, events that required much, much discipline in our home. And this feels very, very close to home and uh, whatever. Perhaps it's been a while. Perhaps uh, we are out, out of that season, but we, we, we recognize that of some things sometimes rather than someone. Help us to navigate this well uh, as, uh, as parents so that we can model this appropriately in our home with our kids who see us and know more about us than, than anybody else. And uh, I, I pray that we would uh, use this as a tool to 
uh, grow ourselves and be more in tune with, uh, with the people that you love and, the, and, and your children and uh, in doing so, uh, strengthen our relationship with you. Give us the wisdom to know what that looks like in our life. Here's you something about it. In your name, amen. Thanks again for listening. If you've got more questions about the church or community group options for connecting with East Lakers outside of Sunday mornings, I'd encourage you to check out our website, eastlaketricities.com, or better yet, download our app by searching East Lake Tri-Cities in your favorite app store.